Good morning. As Cassie said, Romans 12 is where we'll be this morning if you could open your Bibles and follow along for these two verses with me. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that you may be tested to discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Let's pray. As Paul spoke to his brothers and sisters in Christ, it was very clear at this point that we were condemned. Our wages were very clear, yet, Lord, you showed us mercy. You provided freely to us justification. And ultimately, in this text, we can see that we, we love and we give everything that we have and worship completely to you as um, we fumble forward in life. Lord, I pray that we would just be a people that honor you, that care for you with everything that we have, that as is clear in this text, that we are a living sacrifice. We don't leave anything behind. We don't hold onto things that we cling to so dearly, but that we would give you everything that we have. And in obedience of just your scripture and your text and your um, ultimately your sacrifice that was given, that we would not be conformed to this world. We would live a life that truly resembles yours. And ultimately, we would see that we are sinners in need desperately of um, a life that lives after you, that is dedicated to you, and that we don't withhold anything. And when we do, we would um, meet you at the throne and that we would repent and continue to come back to you daily. Lord, we give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and minds to understand and hearts to believe. Amen. you guys. Beautiful. You guys doing okay? Lance is gone. We can party, right? Like, just relax, kick your feet up. B-team's here in full effect, right? So just let's go. My name's Jason, and uh, I've never had a vacation home, but, like, I feel like when I come to the Grove, it's like if I had a vacation home. It's just, like, good to make you, it's just good to feel at home somewhere that's not your actual home. And um, just, man, congratulations to the Grove on nine years last week. That is amazing. I have been a, a witness for that whole time. And um, just remember being a part of conversations with Lance before there was a Grove. And just feeling like, man, that is something that the Lord has prepared for you in this place. And um, to see a room full of people. I know it's a holiday week, so maybe not as full as other times, but um, we stay in touch. We hear stories of God's faithfulness here, and we're so proud of the work God is is doing here. And one of the things I just, I, this is off script for a second, and I don't know if you guys will appreciate this as much as as I do, but I don't know of another church leadership body that operates with such an intentionality to love and lead and care for their body as the leaders of the Grove. Every single thing is on purpose, for purpose, for the glory of God, and that's not the case everywhere. Um, and so you guys have a leadership here that loves you so much that they go to great, great lengths to serve you very intentionally, very 
purposefully, and uh, I think that's a big part of the fruit of this. And so um, next year, the Big Ten um, is going to be great, and then the next 10 after 20 is going to be great, and I'm just so excited to get to just kind of be in the periphery of what happens around here through through relationships. Um, I'm struggling from with uh, Houston funk in November, so if I run out of voice, it's just going to be over. Um, and so if we have an abrupt ending and it's like, I don't think that got where I thought it was going to go, well, thank you, Jesus. Like, that's what we've got for, for the day. And so a lot of times I lead a, a missions organization called Links. I'm a worship pastor over at Renaissance Church just down the road. So a lot of times I get asked to, to preach about missions. And so today Lance asked me to preach about worship, which I'm like, oh, finally. Like, you know, I love missions. But how great to be able to, to, to just kind of hang out in the other part of my life that is so important to me. And, but then when I'm digging into it, I'm like, you know what? The relationship between worship and missions is very intimate. They are very closely connected. And so what I want to do is just kind of help us understand. Uh, kind of, I want to challenge our perspective of worship, um, to be honest. And we're going to see how it kind of relates to mission and mobilizes for mission and how mission is related to worship. Uh, it's going to be good, right? So that's kind of where we're going to go. And Romans 12, 1 and 2 is our launching pad. We're going to come back to that here in just a little bit. But I just want to talk about worship a little bit overall in our context. So as is the case with a lot of spiritual language, the way that I hear worship talked about um, in our Christian culture, and it, it maybe has strayed a little bit from what it means if you're looking at a more precise definition from the Bible, but when we hear the worship, the word worship in, in our day, we think of a couple of things, right? Like we think about 10 o'clock on Sunday mornings is our worship what? It's our worship service. So we say we're going to go to worship from 10 to 11.30 or 12. Like that is a time of worship. And so we think of it as something that we go to participate in at a specific place in time. Another way that you hear worship talked about in our culture right now is a particular genre of music, like worship music. I'm going to get my worship music on. And just it's a strange phenomenon that we talk about it in that way because it's only recently that, that worship Worship music in, it has become, it had an, be, um, developed its own identity in the marketplace. Now, worship artists are selling their catalog of songs to investors for hundreds of thousands of dollars because of the royalties return that they're going to get on that investment. So not only is worship like this type of music, it's become a marketing focus in the world, and it's producing a lot of, of money. So worship music is this genre focused, a distinct type of music that we experience in a certain way by artists that we consider worship leaders. And so while we're, whether we're at a worship gathering or, or singing worship songs, like it's not that those things aren't part of what the Bible teaches us that worship is. It's just like that seems to kind of be the way that we think when we hear the word worship is a place that we go or songs that we sing or songs that we listen to. And what I want us to understand is that that is just like a sliver of the pie of worship. It is just scratching the surface. And I think there's a bigger understanding that we can learn from for what worship is more than that. And so I want to talk about next worship in our world. And so I think our world is actually really, really good at worship. I think the object of our worship is the problem. 
but I think that we see natural worship when you hear somebody talk about their political ideology. Like people can talk every day about who they believe, who should be in office, what they stand for, and why that is the most important thing that should happen in our world. And it's just like every day they beat the drum and they, they you know, just proclaim that message with excitement and energy and conviction and passion. So we see worship as it relates to political positions. We see worship um, as it relates to sports teams. We buy their brand and we wear it on our back, identifying ourselves as a follower of that tribe, right? How exciting that the Texans are actually worth following again after a long time of irrelevance. But if you look at massive sporting events, and I mean, and, and there's a lot of sports that we don't even really acknowledge as sports in the United States, like Formula One racing and, and soccer, but people have flown from all over the world to go to Las Vegas to watch Formula One racing. They knew when it was coming. They planned way in advance. They're pouring out thousands of dollars, and they were utterly devastated when a manhole cover just ruined the whole experience for this thing that they had prioritized. And when we see um, in college football how many stadiums are now being built to accommodate more than 100,000 people because more than 100,000 people are driving from all over to come and go to a place where the team that they're following, they get in a room and they lift their, their hands and they shout in triumph or they lament in victory, but they're all in on this experience. And all of those things are a part of what worship should be. Those are worship emotions that God has given us that we see on display in our world, bowing down to a political ideology, bowing down and lifting up the name and raising a banner of a sports team. And while we're adding on to sports stadiums all over the country, billions of dollars in construction, church attendance is on the decline. Worship is growing for sports teams. Worship of Jesus is on a decline. Right worship, wrong place. We bow down to entertainers. We spend thousands of dollars. Maybe you didn't. I know several people who spent thousands of dollars just to be able to go see Taylor Swift. Like, I'm a closet Swifty. Don't get me wrong. Like, I respect her so much, writing her own music and building her own brand. Did you see this week, they're, they're having a class, there's a new class in the U of, U of H Business School on the business um, methods of Taylor Swift, because she is like a GDP all to herself. I heard an economics professor say, if you want to fix the world economy, just have Taylor Swift to a concert in every city in the world because there's a booming economy wherever she is. The average price for a Taylor Swift ticket is $254. I know people who paid thousands. I'm not saying you should or shouldn't spend that kind of money to go and um, appreciate something that you value. But what my question is, is that research says that only 25% of church members give any money to the church. With the same ease that we make sacrifices and plan our calendar and bank accounts around Taylor Swift, are we able to say that we prioritize our participation in the kingdom of God with the same amount of energy and passion? I've been a pastor for a long time. Sunday morning worship seems to be a very negotiable 
period of time if we get a better offer in our life. Oh, I heard from a young adult in one of our small groups last week. You know, I missed you on Sunday. Oh, I got Texans tickets. And it, and it wasn't even like a, a battle of value and what's more important. But it's just easy for us to pour out. Our world pours out worship to all of these places. Thousands of people plan their weekends around whole days spent because they don't want to miss a tailgate or that's the, the big game. But worship gatherings become optional when we get better offers. We love the things we love with incredible passion. We see stadiums filled with people, and when you see them, they're standing, kneeling, bowing, shouting, screaming, singing, waving banners, celebrating, lamenting, complaining, and maybe even crying at just this thing that was never meant to be the object of our worship. And it's not just in America. When we travel to Central America, when we travel to Africa, you see the same devotion, the same loyalty, the same excitement about all of these things. And I think when you think about all of this, what's very clear is that we were made to worship. And we are, with our life, worshiping things all the time. And I talked about three examples. There's, there's other options. Some people worship their career and the identity that they experience from who they are in that capacity. And they give their all to that role in their life to a cause or to a hobby. Worship is something that we know how to do, but if we're feeling more strongly about a a sports team, an entertainer, or a political candidate than we do about God, then our worship is focused in the wrong thing. Well, how do I know that we're more interested in one of those things? Time, resources, emotion. That is an indication of what we're choosing for our worship. And you and I were made to worship Jesus and and just showing up here for 90 minutes on a Sunday, like our worship is not complete. This is just a very introductory experience to worshiping Jesus. And it's not just flipping on a worship song in the car. It's not just about going to church. It's not an obligation or a checklist. It's how I live my life every day. And for whose glory is an indication of what direction my worship is going. Worship is about how much I truly value God and how much I live for him. And because I value him above everything else, my response to who he is commands my everything. That's what worship is designed to do. And there's nothing more satisfying than living a life of worship. And when we put that worship in other things, we enjoy it for a second and then we're left wanting more because it doesn't satisfy. And if you're here this morning and you're honestly going like, you know what, I don't see a value in the church like I see value in these other places where I want to spend my time, I want to say thank you for your honesty. I also want to say if that's your experience, then you haven't yet seen who God is and what he's done. Because when you see him, you see his greatness. 
When you see him, you see his sovereignty. When you see him, you see his holiness. When you see him, you see his beauty. And when you see him, everything else takes a step back because it doesn't compare to who he is and what he has done. And when you see him, the natural response is, I'm going to worship him now and forever with everything that I have and everything that I am. And everything else doesn't matter. Now, if you haven't seen him in that way, it's easy to understand why our worship would be divided. But I want to help us understand kind of how we can get there to see him for who he is so that we can respond appropriately to his greatness. So I only got two verses for us today. That's good news. Like there's a really good chance we're going to get out of here at a decent time. So I want us to start, and actually we're going to do it backwards. So we looked at Romans 12, 1 and 2. So let's start by looking at Romans 12, verse 2 again. And I just want to read the whole verse. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. So even in that, I want us to move to the end of that that verse and just start here where Paul talking about the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. So I want to tell you just without a shadow of a doubt, what is good, acceptable, and perfect is God himself. So Romans 12, 1 and 2 is pointing us here to saying the, the object of our worship is good, acceptable, and perfect. It is better than any other thing. It'll never let us down. Nothing else is the standard. God is the standard. He alone is holy. He alone is like nothing else because he made everything else, including us. He's above all things. He made us and he made us to engage with him in this full type of worship. Colossians 1.17 says we were made by him and for him and we will never find what we're looking for until we find him and he's not hiding. He's available to be found, right? Poor baby. It's okay. I love baby noises, by the way. Like, so don't, it's great. Don't we love babies? Don't all babies make noises? Don't we love baby noises? 100%, the glory of God on display in our time of worship. So, and then what I want us to understand is that we will never find what we're looking for until we find him. And he's not playing some like cosmic game of hide and seek, catch me if you can, and, and playing tricks. He's available to be found. Matthew 7 says that if you seek him, you will find him. And so my encouragement to you is if you haven't yet found him in such a way that he commands your everyday worship, then you haven't really looked for him yet. Because if you look for him, you will find him according to Matthew 7. You are longing to know him, and you're longing to be known by him. And until you are, everything else on this planet feels short-lived and temporary because it is. Because we won't find the satisfaction and sufficiency we're looking for outside of genuine worship of God. So we keep, it's our choice whether or not we want to keep pouring out our praise to all of these objects of worship that didn't make us. And we divide our heart and our affection in all of these things that will never be good, acceptable, or perfect like God is. And we're always like overthinking this, well, what's the will of God? What's God's will for my life? And I would just say God's will for your life is to worship him. And when you truly worship him, 
you don't have to ask what God's will is for your life because you're doing it. And that will result in him speaking to us and moving us and showing us things that we want to be involved in. So we see this at the end. The will of God is good, acceptable, and perfect, and he wants us to find him so that we can find that. And then the beginning of this verse is don't be conformed to the world, right? And I told you some examples of how the world worships. Just a couple of examples of how the world worships and acts normal. Paul says don't be conformed to that. As followers of Jesus, there should be a distinction to our worship. And the things that our worship focuses for the world should not be worship focuses for us because we can't give our worship to anybody else. Does that mean we can't enjoy sports? No, it doesn't. But it also means that we could take it or leave it at any given time because God is greater. It reveals the heart of our worship. It means that no matter who's in office, God is on the throne and we don't have to worry. Our identity is not wrapped up in that. The Bible says that God is sovereign over who occupies political offices. And our job is to pray for those that he's put in those positions, whether we like them or not. It also says, don't slander them. That's the will of God that's good, pleasing, and, and perfect. Don't let your Facebook feed be entirely devoted to politics, sports, or entertainment. That's an indication of where our heart is being poured. So it'll be conformed to the world. So how do we find him? How do we see who he is? And how do we know that he's there? It tells us right after this, it says, the transformation that we're looking for is only possible through the renewal of our minds that comes from the word of God. So in other words, our minds have taken on this sinful nature that we were born into that is not how God created man to begin with, but in choosing to not worship God fully and to worship themselves by making bad choices and elevating them, their own priorities as ultimate, like our brains have a certain wiring that naturally we're going to choose what the world chooses. Those are the tendencies that we have. Those are the messages that we are impacted and influenced by every day. Marketing is telling us what we should choose and God's just saying, hey, my word will tell you what to choose. But you've got to renew your mind. I, I, I spent some time in counselor training and things like that. And, and what, what happens is that through repetition, through taking in a better word and a better story, our brains are literally rewired neurologically to believe better truths. But until they become the norm more so than what is already there, there's going to be a war waging between those two realities. Eventually, the renewal of your mind will train you in godliness to a point that you just choose worship every single time. But it, has, it doesn't just happen, kind of like the intentionality that I talked about with your leadership. Healthy churches, they don't just happen. They take vision, they take purpose, they take intentionality, they take mobilization. You and I will never come to a true sense of worship haphazardly. We're not just gonna, oh, I fell into this amazing life of worship that gives me value. No, at some point, you have to choose what matters most to you and let every decision in your life be a consequence of the faith that you have in God 
and you can renew your mind through the word of God. So we see in the word of God that light shines in our darkness. We see truth that transforms us from lies and deceptions. We see a hope and a future instead of judgment and condemnation. We see a better everything when we prioritize finding God through his word. Everything we need to know about God is written there. There are experience that we will have that follow that understanding, but if we're not prioritizing renewing our mind by spending time taking this in to help battle against our tendencies for worldly worship, we're going to lose the battle of worship and we're going to be divided without intentionality, without renewing our mind. We will not see the transformation that helps us to not be conformed to the ways and the patterns of this world. And I want to say it like this, um, the word redefines our world and puts us on a trajectory, a true trajectory of worship. The word redefines our world. So we don't see the world like the world sees the world, we see the world like God sees the world. And when we're seeking first the kingdom of God, we understand why we're here in this world, and that is to worship God here to prove how great he is. The last thing verse 2 talks about is discernment. And my testimony to you is when you're trying to discern something, when you don't know what you should do and you're praying and you're testing between these different possibilities, the most important thing you can do is renew your mind and worship. God's already got it sorted. He's not fussed about it. You don't have to worry. He's not worried. And if you find him, you're going to find what you need. I've thought about a story of this. Just in the last couple of weeks, um, I get to spend some time in leadership coaching environments, and I have some leadership groups that meet across the city. And one of the, the men in my group is an entrepreneur, and he owns a restaurant. And uh, he started right before COVID, and that just created all these obstacles, just like so many of you are familiar with in the business world. And they, you know, they got some, they got an, a bad accountant. They didn't know it was bad. And then on the other end of it, they're looking at a pile of debt that is insurmountable. It's just more than they can comprehend. It's, they don't know what to do, and they're having to consider every option. And so he was telling me this week about two different opinions that he got. One is from just a proven business person that everything he does is makes money and he sees things just very structured and strategic and he just takes the facts, analyzes them, presents a plan of action. And this first opinion uh, to my friend was, there's no way forward. Cut your losses, get out of the lease, Start planning for the reboot of what 2.0 looks like, but there's no hope for you in the situation that you currently are in. It's discouraging. That was his first opinion. They put their heart, soul, life savings, cashed in their 401k, like they went all in on this thing. They love it, and they're doing a good job. They're just not making enough money. Then he talked to another guy who is an investment banker, loves the Lord, and understands the whole picture, and he said, yeah, the, all that's really bad. Like, you're in a really tough spot. He goes, this is what I want you to do. I want you to wake up early every day, and I want you to renew your mind in the truth of who God is, and I want you to do what God tells you to do. And I just thought, that's it, Right? Like we get this great advice, it's not, nothing wrong, right, 
Wisdom is listening to different opportunities and weighing them, but one unlocks the supernatural. One unlocks the true renewal of our mind. Not seeing it like the world sees it where, hey, this is a dead end. You've got no hope. But we don't know what God wants to do. God does miracles. God could save a business. God can provide a way when there is no way. And so that's kind of a, a picture of just everything in our life. Like we have an opportunity all the time to either do what other people tell us to do or to lean in and be so in sync with God that we already know what to do because we know who we are in Christ. If we don't need somebody else's opinion, we need to know God. We don't need worldly wisdom, we need worship wisdom as we lay down our lives towards him. So we have these choices every day. Are we going to default to what the world says? Are we going to not be conformed to the ways of the world? We're going to be transformed by the renewing of our mind and because the legitimacy of our worship is on the line. We're making a worship choice with how we respond to pressure, stresses, decisions, opportunities. So that's like the, the verse two. So I thought that was really important because we come to that and it's like, so the word of God is paramount in developing a life of worship that is true worship. Now let's go back to verse one and I just want to talk about, we're going to split it into two parts. Number one, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of of God. I just want to stop right there. In my time at seminary, I learned that therefore is always there for a reason. Therefore is always there for a reason. What's the reason? We are in Romans 12. There's only 16 chapters of Romans, so we're in the last quarter of it. What Romans 12 is saying, there's a whole lot of greatness of God in Romans 1 through 11. So what he's calling us back to is this discovery of knowing how holy, how pure, how amazing, how big God is. Romans 1 through 11 is telling us all of those things. So when Paul's saying, I appeal to you, therefore, he's saying, because of how good God is and how rich the experience of knowing him is, I want you to just remember that, just like Kobe was talking about, we're remembering, remembering, remembering more than anything. It's just like, what are we supposed to do when we come together? We're, just gonna, we're gonna remember. Why? Because the world wants us to forget. And everything in our world is competing against the knowledge of us remembering. That's why we have to be transformed by renewal because we can't just be neutral. We're being renewed one way or the other. So he's saying, because of who God is and because of how great he is, and this is it, right? I appeal to you. So he's saying, you're invited. I can't do this for you. You can't worship because your parents worship. You can't worship because your spouse worships. You can only worship because you make a choice that you're going to worship. I appeal to you. I'm inviting you to value God above everything else. I'm inviting you to live a life of worship. Nobody can force you. It doesn't just automatically happen when you start reading the Bible. It has to do with your devotion, your intention with God. Will you choose him more than you choose everything else. And God in his mercy, by the mercies of God, so beautiful, God in his mercy is inviting us into a place of worship. And it's an invitation that means nothing unless we respond to it. 
It's an invitation that just stays on the refrigerator like all the wedding invitations. It's like, oh, that looks like a beautiful thing. I'm not going. You're invited to worship. Are you going or not? And I hope that you're starting to see that I'm not talking about whether or not you like to sing. Even though even if you don't like to sing, when you start pouring into the Bible, you start seeing that an appropriate response to the glory of God is lifting your voice in song. And the Bible says make a joyful noise. So it doesn't matter what you sound like. And it doesn't matter if you're embarrassed. It doesn't matter if you like it or not. We see that singing is an act of obedience, which is a part of worship. It's not our personality, it's not what we enjoy or don't enjoy, it's about being renewed and in sync with what the Word of God says that we have an opportunity to do. You're invited to step outside of yourself and value God above all other things, and he proves that he's worth it time and time again. So I appeal to you, therefore, because of the greatness of God, brothers and sisters, because of God's mercy, he's saying, you can know me like this. You can experience me in all of my glory, all of my beauty, all of my majesty, all of my grace, all of my mercy. I'm inviting you to live a life of worship in response to that. And then the next part, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So let's break this down just a little bit because Paul's original audience would, would recognize an immediate contradiction into this language that we might not understand. But when you see um, living sacrifice, those, they don't go together because a sacrifice is where things were killed. So they would have been like, that doesn't make any sense, Paul. And he goes, exactly. I want you to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice because the people that Paul was speaking to, they would have immediately gone back to the law of Moses where worship included sacrificing a perfect animal for the sins of the people. So we read earlier in Romans, remember, therefore, earlier in Romans, it says, for the wages of sin is death. So sin is so gross to God and such a serious deal that the only way to, to be eye for an eye with sin is for something to die. Sin is death eventually. Something has to die to make an atonement for sin. And the way that the, God set up the Levitical law was that only the priest in his, in his symbolic perfection and prepared in a certain way could take a perfect and spotless animal and would take it to an altar and lay the animal and the animal would be slaughtered for the atonement. It was the only way to make a payment for the sin of the people was for something to die. For the animal to die. That's the only experience, that's the only worship they would know. If you think about the story of um, Abraham and Isaac, when um, Abraham was taking Isaac up the mountain to sacrifice him, do you remember what he said to Isaac? He said, we're going to go up there to what? Worship. Something's going to die up there. There was a, an understanding that sin was so severe that death was the only satisfaction of atonement for that. And so when Paul is saying a living sacrifice, it's, it's causing some chaos of understanding in their brain. And what he's reminding us is that Jesus came as the perfect and spotless lamb, laid down his life to be the permanent sacrifice for us once and for all. So there's no more sacrifice that's required for us because Jesus has paid it already. 
and he's inviting us to come and believe in him and he's taking the punishment for our sin and in exchange, he's giving us life. This is, he's redefining our worship because to them, worship was gonna be a specific place, a specific time, and a specific manner, much in the way that you and I think about it. Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. or a specific song or something like that. We've compartmentalized worship to an experience. And Paul's going, no, like a living sacrifice. Your life lived intentionally for the glory of God, sacrificing what the world thinks is priority and prioritizing God above all other things. In John chapter 4, when Jesus talks about the woman at the well, she talks about her understanding of worship. And she says, my people worship over here, your people worship over there. What is she saying? There's a time and place designated for worship. That's the way she understood it. And Jesus said what? Hey, a time is coming and is actually now here, now here where it's not about worshiping there or worshiping here. It's about worshiping in spirit and truth, which is what? All the time. There's no distinction. There's no location. There's no separateness of worship. True spiritual worship is giving all I am and all I have for all of my days. Paul is calling us to a different level of worship that includes everything we do. Our lives are to be lived as an act of worship, seeking first the kingdom of God above everything else and living with these priorities that we've discovered from the renewal of our mind and being willing to sacrifice everything else that's not that for the better word that Jesus has offered us as the sacrifice for all of our sins and spiritual worship. It's not just dabbling and feeling a certain way in songs and music. It's not by just giving a couple hours a week to, to God. It's about living every single day. All I have, all I am, all my days. That's worship. Anything less than that is not spiritual worship. And it's a big ask. And it's an invitation would you be willing to see if you can come to a place where you value God so much that your life response is worship? Let me just wind us down here with a couple of um, thoughts. So I just, I'm calling these worship realities. Um, there's a bunch of words in the Old Testament. There's about four words used 171 times in the Old Testament describing worship, and they basically mean the same thing. So this is worship defi defined to bow down with a sense of reverence, respect, and honor. Not at a specific place in time, but every day of our life. In everything in our life, we bow down with a sense of reverence, respect, and honor. If you're not experiencing the reverence, respect, and honor, the bowing down doesn't make any sense. So the first, well, Paul is good, acceptable, and perfect, the holiness of God. It's inviting you to discover it. And if you've never been on a trajectory, you've said, you know what, I want to go in and I want to discover the depths of God, you can make that decision. This is a great community of faith to do that with. You can find who God is. You can see more of it. I invite you to that. The next thing I want to share is that worship is worth ship. 
We give worship to what's worth it in our lives. Whatever has the greatest worth, we can see what has the greatest worth when we look at our bank account. Whatever has the most value is where we spend the most money. Whatever has the most value is where we spend our time. Whatever, wherever we, has the most value is the people that we choose to associate with. Worthship. Worship without worship is just hanging out with some experiences that make us feel good but hasn't gotten us to that place of sustainability. The next thing, the reality is that worship is life. To bow our lives down, our relationships, our resources, our time, our passions, our decisions, our rights, our entire lives to honor God with every part of our being. One of the Hebrew words for worship in the Old Testament is actually the same word that they use for work. So it's not like a worship service, it's a service of worship, which also includes where you spend your nine to five Monday through Friday. Our work is part of who God designed us to be. Part of our worship is honoring God with our vocations, with our calling, putting him on display in those places. I've heard someone say last week, there's really no such thing as work-life balance. And that's actually true when all of your life is worship, because you don't need balance. You're all in on glorifying God in all that you are, with all that you have, in all of your places, for, for all of your days. Worship is life. We get to, to worship with everything. Two more. Worship is war. Worship is war. Some of you guys are, are in a battle in your life. You're fighting for for hardship, like Samantha said, don't know what your struggle is, but we've all got something. And worship doesn't ignore that and act like there's not hard things. It's just saying, 2 Corinthians says, we don't wage war according to the flesh. When we're in hard times, we don't worship like the world does, masking our pain and you know, filling our needs with things. We don't have to do that because we don't wage war according to the flesh. There's you know, these songs that talk about, this is how I fight my battles. I worship because God's gone before me. All I have to do is be still. God fights for me. We sing, uh, I raise a hallelujah. My weapon is a melody. And that's the only weapon I need is my, my worship. It's enough. Because God fights for us. In the Old Testament, the musicians went out first because when the sounds of God's people were heard, the enemies of God trembled. Because worship is the weapon. Worship is the only weapon that, that we need. Worship is, is how we engage in battle. And then the last thing is, worship is fuel. Because we have tasted the joy of worshiping Jesus, we should be moved so much to live our lives so that other people will experience what we've experienced. And it should make us want to live missionally because living a life of worship is living a life of mission all the time. We can't engage with God and just be like, that makes me feel really good. 
It does make us feel really good to worship, but what else? We see who God is. We see who's around us. We see the work that we're called to do, and we're mobilized to facilitate other people experiencing that same thing. We live for the glory of God, so we share our faith with those that God's called us to share our faith with. We go to the least of these around the world. We spend our time, money, and resources um, all, all there because it matters more than what, what's important to us. We're not being conformed to the ways of the world. We're being transformed by the renewal of our mind. And so we see that our worship is fuel. I love uh, John Piper has uh, a book called Let the Nations Be Glad About Worship. And he said this, missions is not the ultimate goal of the church, which in Great Commission teaching, you know, what we're called to go and make disciples of all nations. Well, he challenges, doesn't challenge that. Obviously, that's true, but this is the greater picture. Missions exist because worship doesn't. The reason that we go and spread the gospel is because we encounter people that aren't yet worshiping, and we want them to taste and see what we've tasted and see. We don't have anything special. We just have Jesus. We don't have a, a, a skill set that they need, they don't, we're not going to save them, we're just sharing Jesus. Because of our worship, because of what we've tasted and seen, we want to live in that reality, spreading that to the ends of the earth, because all they need is Jesus. He's enough. Matt Redman has this old song called Missions Flame, and he just says, let worship be the fuel for missions flame. Because you know what, living on mission is exhausting. Living on mission is going to cost you time and money and awkwardness. You're going to have to hang out with some people that maybe you wouldn't choose to. You're going to have to use your time to serve other people and, and not just make life easier. It's, it's hard. What empowers us? Worship. Because when we see who God is, how much he's worth, we want other people to experience that so that worship be the fuel Permissions flame. So if you're running low on worship fuel, on missions fuel, check your worship activity. Check your worship life. Am I living a life of worship? Because when I live a life of worship, my flame for mission never runs out. So we're being invited into this, this deeper level of worship with our life. And I've got this one quote to end with from William Temple, who was an Archbishop of Canterbury, and I may have made a modification or two to his quote, so, you know, I gave myself credit. Um, but I didn't put my picture up there, just his. Um, but I thought, man, what a beautiful way to help us experience a holistic invitation to a life of worship. Worship is the submission of all of our nature to God. It is the quickening of conscience by his holiness the nourishment of mind with his truth, the attracting of his presence through our praise and adoration, the purifying of imagination by his beauty, the opening of the heart to his love, and the surrender of our will to his purpose. That's a life of worship. Whatever you're battling with, you don't have a battle with addiction. You have a battle with worship. You don't have a battle with relationships. You have a battle with worship because worship is the remedy. It's the weapon. It's the war. It's the fuel. It's the flame. It's, it's everything. So this morning, I just want to ask you, is your worship working? Is it getting you where you want? Is your life, do you sense the presence of God? Is, it, is your current level of worship working? 
Is it taking you deeper into the word? Is it growing in your relationship with Christ? Is it encouraging you into acts of service and mission into the world? And if, it's, if you feel like you're not there, the invitation is I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the mercy of God, to live a life of worship. It's the best choice that you'll ever make, but you have to choose it. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you for thank you for your word, God, that is so sufficient. It just gives us everything that we need, God. And Lord, I just pray that despite my efforts, my words, that you would be working beyond that and you would just be calling people to yourself, God. For those in the room who just feel a deficiency of satisfaction, sufficiency, uh, an inadequacy, God, I pray that today would be the day they say, I accept your invitation to live a life of worship. Would you give us the courage to value you above everything else? Would you orient our lives around your truth and the renewal of our minds? God, just remove the the obstacles and the distractions, the lies, the confusion, whatever's in the way of us knowing you intimately, powerfully. Just remove those things and let us see you as you are, high and lifted up. And may our response be in spirit and in truth with all of our lives for all of our days. In Jesus' name, amen.